0: and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody, Strategy Director here at 11FS. In this episode, we want to take a closer look at how climate change is impacting the fintech space. How are fintechs embedding green thinking into their business model and culture? How are fintechs supporting organisations to deliver on their own climate targets? And what obstacles and opportunities does the industry face as climate change becomes increasingly important to consumers, companies and regulators? To have the discussion with me, I'm joined by some great guests. Firstly, Nicholas Persson, the CEO and co-founder of Deedster, a climate-driven company from Sweden who support banks and fintechs become greener and more sustainable through their Deedster retail service. Nicholas, thanks for joining us. Great to meet you personally. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about, about you and what Deedster are up to, please?
1: Sure. and um, Thank you, Kate. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, in your podcast. Um, so I am the CEO and co-founder of Deedster. Um, it's, it's, it's a platform that's been around since 2017 already, so we're quite early in this space. Um, it is essentially a platform uh, with tools and data to measure, explain, and reduce carbon emissions. Um, and we are targeting large platforms, so we focus on individuals, but also organizations. So in the outset, helping individuals understand the impact of, the, of their spendings and, and savings, and then provide guidance on how to reduce, uh, reduce carbon emissions and reduce their climate impact. So that's pretty much what we do. It's a B2B service, so we launch these tools on platforms where there is a lot of people. So, bank platforms being the absolute perfect place to provide guidance and incentivize more sustainable living. Um, so that is what we do. We're a Stockholm-based company of tw- 20 people, so quite early stage yet, but, but quite a bit of traction. More than 80 companies, banks, insurers, etc., using our platform since we uh, since we started.
0: Awesome. Well, no, that's a great intro and really excited to, to kind of get your perspective on this as we go through. So thank you for joining us. We're also delighted to welcome Akshat Rati, Bloomberg's senior reporter on climate. You also recently published a book, kudos to you, uh, Climate Capitalism and hosts the Zero podcast. Um, welcome, Akshat. Um, for those who don't know you, maybe you could tell us a bit more about what you do, please.
2: Yes. Well, it's nice to be here. And uh, I'm a senior climate reporter, as you said. I report on all things climate mostly focused on, I would define a beat as solutions, false solutions, and then how do we talk about climate change? Um, So solutions and false solutions, sort of self-explanatory. There are lots of people who want to try and tackle this problem, but not all of the solutions they hawk are worthy of your attention or worthy of any investment. Um, And then the other thing that I've experienced as a reporter on this topic for the last seven years is that every year has been different. The rules of the game are changing, the awareness of the topic is changing, the solution set that companies can deploy or people can deploy is changing. And so a lot of the time I am helping people understand how do we talk about this topic, which just feels like this big blob that's going to eat us, but it's not quite there. We are not in that dire situation we're also not headed in that direction.
0: No, oh, I like that. That's a that's a great way for us to segue into our into our conversation. So, thank you both so much for joining us, um, and let's get started. Okay. Well, I'd love to start by, I suppose, looking more broadly at the importance of acknowledging and addressing climate change and the opportunities this might create for fintech. So, actually, I'll come to you first. Um, as you said, you report on all aspects of climate change. So, you meant you described it as a big blob, right? How do we how do we break down that that big blob, but kind of still help our listeners to understand kind of what this is and as as an issue and how important it is. So
2: maybe two strands to take. One, the science, and then two, what have we done about it? The science actually goes back more than a century. We've sort of known for a century that carbon dioxide uh, is a greenhouse gas, that it starts to heat up the planet. We didn't really know whether the amount of greenhouse gas that we were putting out with burning fossil fuels would have much of an impact or not until the 50s and 60s. But since then, we have just become more and more certain of what this can do. And by the 1990s, we were terribly certain that this is going to have major impact in the decades to come. We couldn't say whether that was going to be in 2020 or 2030, but we could say that there were going to be major impacts. And the major impacts could be across the sectors, right? Sea level rise, heat waves, flooding, uh, high hurricanes. We are living that world right now. That was predicted, not the location, not the same level of ferocity, but we know heating the planet makes the weather weird. And the weirder the weather gets, the more impacts we're gonna feel and they're going to keep getting more extreme as we keep putting out greenhouse gas emissions. We knew that in the 90s. Now to the policy part. You know, the science part has since refined and we are getting better at making predictions and that's a good thing. But on the policy side, we basically had a moment in the late 80s, early 90s, when major world leaders, the US president, the British prime minister, they were all aligned on trying to do something about climate change, that let's figure out a plan, a 50, 60, 100 year plan to move away from fossil fuels to clean our energy. But then the fossil fuel industry ran a massive disinformation campaign. And they really just needed to attack uh, rich countries, mostly the US, to sow doubt about climate science. And so there was a long period until the 2015 Paris Agreement that we didn't really do very much. Fortunately, we didn't also not do anything. So many of the technologies that are working at scale, solar, wind, batteries, they were either in labs or at some small scale in some commercial activity bubbling up. And finally, after the Paris Agreement, it feels like, and I think fair to say, climate solutions have been unleashed. We now have renewables as the cheapest source of electricity in most, almost every part of the world. We now have electric cars. You know, The UK sold 40% of all cars last month were electric cars. And there are a whole host of new technologies that will scale because we know how to scale these technologies in coming decades. So we live in a two-track world where because we know the science says the more greenhouse gas emissions we put, the worse extreme weather is going to get and worse impacts are going to get. But we should also acknowledge that we have, because of the progress we've made since the Paris Agreement, avoided some of the worst possibilities, which were on the table. We're still on a track that is going to be pretty horrible, and we can turn that ship around.
0: Nice. nice, Nicholas, I mean, obviously you mentioned that you found a deed in 2017. Actually, let's talk about the 2015 Paris Agreement. When did this become like the priority issue for, for you? What's been your personal journey?
1: That was uh, probably a couple of years earlier. Uh, and by the way, it was an excellent summary of, of, of uh, where we were and what's been happening since, uh, since early on I chat and, and, and really aligned with my own experience and, and my own thoughts around this. But probably around 14, 15, and thanks to, to friends, uh, really taking an interest in this and also starting to work with, with solutions. That also caught my interest and maybe it's it's also a midlife thing that you start to reflect on on these serious matters but but i do think that the communication around this at the time was becoming um, if not massive but but uh, but 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 large and you couldn't really avoid listening to once you start listening to this and it's scientists, uh, and you start to read, read up about it, It's it, you just cannot ignore it, right? And as you're in, in sort of midlife, you start to think about what can I bring to bear, what what I, what I can I do as a person, as a, as a professional? And that's where the Dietster idea started, uh, not only with myself, but also my co-founders. So yeah, around that time, I guess.
0: No, it makes complete sense. And actually, obviously, the kind of stereotype is to see this as an issue that's driven by younger consumers, you know, that it's younger generations that have kind of pushed this to the forefront. Like, does that ring true for you? Is it, is it more nuanced than that?
2: It is more nuanced than that. Uh, young people have been an absolute force and there is no denying they have made a huge amount of difference, not just through consumer choices, but even earlier than that, teenagers who force their parents to look at themselves and make better choices. Um, And so at an individual level, especially uh, in rich developed countries, there has been an awareness among young people. But also in developing countries, at least on demanding that rich countries do more, uh, because the amount of impact that developing countries have is still quite small. But it's not the only thing. Uh, What the Paris Agreement did, in a way, was send out a market signal that finally governments recognize that they're going to do something about the problem. Any big company of its salt will tell you they knew about the problem. They knew that climate impacts will have some form of impact on their bottom line, on their profits. A very good example is Unilever. It does many things. It also makes ice cream. You would think in a heat wave, people would want more ice cream. And that'll be a good thing. That'll be a profit-driven product to sell. But what happens in heat waves is actually people stay indoors and people don't go out and ice cream sales drop. So that's just one of like hundreds of ways in which companies are seeing their bottom line being affected by climate impact. So they are starting to act on their own even before consumer preferences come through. The other very big lever that's changed since the Paris Agreement is investors. So all of us in some way, because of our pension, have investments in these companies, but they're managers of our pension who really hold the power to shape these companies. And they recognize that if they aren't going to live on a livable planet, they are not going to be able to live up to their duty of providing us with a pension 30, 40 years from now that they are committed to providing us. And so they are starting to put pressure on companies to act as well. And finally, governments are making the changes on policy that when you have a net zero target by 2050, you can be Rishi Sunak wanting to say, I don't want to do very many green things, but you cannot say, I will end the ban on fossil fuel cars. You can just move it to 2035 because you're legally bound by a net zero target where from 2035 to 2050, an average lifespan of a fossil fuel car is 15 years. That means you cannot sell fossil fuel cars after 2035. So all those forces are coming together finally. And that's why, you know. That's the journey I try and put in my book as well called Climate Capitalism, which is how are we finally at that place where we are putting the solutions set together and what are the forces driving us?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um Nicholas, I suppose one of the things that I'm increasingly hearing when I you know, I speak to people at big banks all the time is kind of part of my side hustle alongside doing this podcast. Um, and I suppose more and more of these big organisations are starting to really focus on that that Gen Z audience to kind of think about that next generation of, of customers. So, you know alongside all of those multiple factors that I actually set out, you know, are you seeing that come through as well? That you know, when you're having conversations with financial institutions. This generation is becoming this younger kind of climate-focused generation is becoming more of a concern, and therefore, it's a bigger driver of, of what these organisations are looking to do.
1: Yes, I, I think so. I mean, that is recognised by 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 most of the banks we we talk to. Then it's it's a different matter if if they actually yeah, how they respond to that, how they act to it. So. So it's certainly a matter of time. It's not uh, if, 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 if not or, or, or yes, but but it's it's a matter of time for for some early, let's say, if not adopters or front runners. That's an opportunity to demonstrate leadership in, in, in the in the change to be the, the sustainable bank that takes lead in this transition. So you see, movers and, and, and with a, with that sort of objective but you see many more rather contemplating how long they can wait before they need to move on this because it's not necessarily directly connected to the to to bottom line of the of the financial statement so so while we are having massive you know a lot of conversations and i think there is a there is a, a, an insight with with a majority of the banks that this is what our customers are looking for this is we need to be able to present transparency and guidance uh, to our retail customers and corporate customers uh, on on this topic. But right now, it does not really affect our results. So, and we don't have a problem with our finan- finances. Actually, the banks are doing better than ever before. If we look at the reports from the last quarters, so it's. Um, it's a scattered picture or, or a divided picture, if you like. But the inside is certainly there, uh, and, and it will happen. So it's, it's a matter of, I guess, the front runners and the FOMO effect. So once a critical mass start to move and take action, then at some point everyone will move, and they will need to move fast. And yeah, that is probably what we're waiting for.
0: The drip, drip, drip. Yeah no I think it's obviously it's especially pertinent to this topic around climate change but we see it i suppose right across the spectrum in financial services the kind of the damage of i suppose organizational structures and funding structures that incentivise banks to really focus on those very short term returns you know it makes it very difficult for even very well-intentioned executives to push through some of these significant changes because you're not going to see the return next year or even the year after that you know it's it's a much longer term play and we see we see that play out in all sorts of areas of, of financial services but i think it's particularly relevant and especially interesting you know as you said Akshat to think about you know, the role that pension providers can play because in some ways they're uniquely uniquely orientated towards the long term in a way that like the wider industry and just people in general struggle to be i suppose if we're putting our, our cynical hat on i suppose the cynics take on this is that you know businesses don't really care about climate change and they're only trying to look for a use case or a way to make money Akshat would you would you subscribe to that is is that a fair perspective to take I think
2: in general, yes, but you should note that when we see businesses actually deploying climate solutions and succeeding widely, others are also jealous about following that. So let's take uh, a non-financial industry example. We are talking about electric cars like they are now just a consumer product. You know, Yes, some people still have range anxiety. Yes, some people still have to think about where they are going to charge their cars. But largely here in Europe, and increasingly in America, people are now resigned to the fact that next car is going to be electric at some point. That is an absolutely crazy place to be if you thought about projections 10 years ago. And the reason why we are there is because a few companies and a few countries took the lead of making that transition happen. So in the West, famously was Tesla, but in China, there were a whole host of companies, BYD, Neo number of companies that we don't even hear about here in Europe that were partnering with European automakers. And because China spent $60 billion between a period of 2009 to 2017 funding this industry and creating champions and making cars so cheap and making batteries so cheap, every other major manufacturer for whom China is the largest market had to turn around and go, well, They've kind of decided our fate, and we have to go with it. Now they will tell you, this is the future for us. We're going to come and give you new products. But they had to resign to the fact that they are going to do this. And in the finance industry, we're going to start to see that happen. As Nicholas said, at some point, there are examples of some frontier banks. So Triodos Bank is a very good example, has been fossil fuel-free investing for a long time almost every major bank now has an option of being able to put your money in the places that are not fossil fuel oriented even if they're not completely directing that all of that money away So yes you know finance industry is still largely to be blamed for funding uh, a lot of fossil fuel infrastructure uh, but you can start to see chinks in the armor if they took a stance as a as an industry where people are starting to experiment. And come up with solutions to tackle the climate crisis.
0: Nicholas, I'm, I'm keen to understand I suppose, how you guys position it at Easter. Like when you're talking to these organizations, are you going in and, and presenting it as you know, a commercial case or is it about you know, the morals, the ethics, the the responsibility?
1: Mm, it's both because they go together quite well. I think the uh, particularly younger audiences being more value oriented in, in their consumption patterns, I think, then, then just goes without saying that uh, taking on a Again, show demonstrating leadership and, and taking on a a, a sustainability profile, and, and doing it the right way, not greenwashing because greenwashing k- kills you. We we only we we've already seen evidence of that. So so do a thorough a thorough homework on, on, on sustainability and, and and make that a a core part of your of your value proposition and offering is absolutely necessary for, for any retailer. And, and banks, obviously, retailers need to bring that to their customers. There is opportunity uh, in, in the short term because there are not so many movers yet. So it's an opportunity to, to win market shares and come out as the, uh, the, the, the premium brand around sustainability. Uh, so that's a, definitely a driver for, for some. At some point, the regulator will come chase uh, the laggards and that's probably, I think, that they will be punished by the market before that because the, the regulator is not always very quick. But also, the regulator, I mean, if you look at your, Europe, uh, is starting to, to become quite active, and particularly around corporates. But I, I think we'll see more of that also in the financial industry and the demand for transparency on carbon emissions uh, around investments and spendings. So th- there is hope also for the regulator, but politicians being anxious and, and not always up to, to the mark when it comes to make the brave decisions uh, may not be the, uh, the drivers, but rather uh, front-runner companies, corporates, and, and uh, to some extent regulators.
0: Yeah. I mean, actually, I'd love to get your take on, we've talked about the importance of governments and government action. In some countries, governments and regulators are very closely intertwined and some they are a bit more separate. But I mean, where do, you, where do you see the the status quo for regulators being right now? So
2: in a way, that's the topic of the book, Climate Capitalism, where it basically is arguing that the form of regulation that happens to be able to drive climate action is actually quite different in different countries because of the political context in which uh, these regulations happen. So in the US, you have a divided Congress, you have a divided party system, especially on climate issues. One party denies it, the other party wants to do something about it. In Europe, much less division. Yes, there's some parties here in the UK that are trying to create a division, but overall, both public understanding and political support for climate action is much more. So because you have division in America, what you've got in regulatory terms is just subsidy-driven solutions. Lots and lots of tax credits, lots of money being given to people to build stuff. In Europe, you have a mix of both. You have some subsidies, but you also have regulations. You have carbon pricing. You have uh, rules to direct money in the right places. Then if you look at capitalism in China, very different. Much more nationalistic-driven, much more industrial economy driven. When they're creating this electric car industry, they want to dominate that space. They want to export the cars, not just satisfy domestic demand. Um and so you can get different forms of regulation driven climate solutions. There isn't one size fits all.
0: Yeah, no absolutely I feel like I should declare like as an interest. Like my my uncles in, in Scotland, you know, they they run a farm. They now have wind turbines on their land. Not not because they are ardent, you know, uh, climate change activists um, but just because yeah at, at a moment in time there were the financial incentives and the schemes there to make that a commercially beneficial decision for for them to take so you know absolutely I've kind of seen that firsthand myself
1: yeah but 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 you were you were asking I mean the, the commercial drivers how what is actually pushing the agenda when it comes to to, to transition is it is it uh, customers asking uh, is it a regulator. But I, th- th- there is an element that I think is worth mentioning, and that is that, that the, 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 the calls are being made by, by human beings. And, and we see that there, there are leaders out there with, the, with, with, with the large corporates, large insurers and also banks that, that really rise above uh, the rest, that, that w- with a conviction that this is the right thing to do for, for my bank. Uh, obviously, being li- listed companies, but, but still deploying that type of leadership onto their organizations and that is just great to see we have the privilege of working with some of them and and there are many more but but they are important because uh, they are leaders and people follow peers follow and and they are changing industries so i think that's an important people it's it's decisions are made by people so
0: Absolutely. I think we've we've done a great job at setting the scene. Um, I'm going to take a, a quick pause here. Coming up, we're going to take a closer look at what fintechs and banks are specifically doing to adapt to this more conscious climate workforce and customer base and what opportunities this creates for fintechs in the future. So find out a bit more after these short messages. Hello and welcome, LFG people, to fintech insider, Watching insider, 11FS spotlight, 11FS explores, open mic night, after dark. <laughs> Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. We all know SMEs are the backbone of any economy, so why are they still so underserved? 67% of them globally say fighting for survival is their top challenge. It's time for financial services to put its cape on. At 11 Affairs Ventures, we're building, researching, strategizing, designing, and engineering game-changing propositions with banks and fintechs to better serve the SME market. We've already helped RBS better serve small business owners and sole traders by bringing metal to life. So the question is, what do you want us to help make a reality for you? Let us know at alonafest.com slash ventures. That's alonafest.com slash ventures. Welcome back to Fintech Insider Insights. We've just been discussing why climate change is important for us all to action and some of the context around this issue and how it's developed over time. Now let's take a closer look at the challenges and opportunities this presents for fintechs. Nicholas, obviously, as a representative of a, a fintech focused on, on this space, you, know, you work specifically with banks and fintechs to help them become more sustainable. Talk us through how you do that specifically.
1: Well, there, there, is, um, there is a huge opportunity for, for the financial industry and, and, uh, and the big players, the banks, of course, but, but also fintechs, to, to play a major role uh, in the transition. And and the reason for that is obvious. I mean, the financial system is the the very enabler of of consumption and trade. And and if we look at emissions, it it comes from consumption, production consumption. So in the ecosystem of of payment providers, financing, loans, investments, uh, it's the obvious place to, to implement and incentivize change. So the starting point is great. (laughs) <laughs> uh, when it comes to where do we want to be active if we want to push net zero transformation and, and 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 fight climate change, now what we do is we focus on on spendings and consumption. So again, private consumption being seventy percent of of global emissions, we will we will certainly rely on. Technologies and and, and uh, other ways of providing energy, etc., transportation, to reach and 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 uh, will reach the targets of the Paris Accord. But there will also be a need for behavioural change. So be more conscious and informed in our in our spendings and also savings investments. So that is where Dijkstra come in to help individuals understand the impact of, of their spendings, to understand that it actually matters, the, the decisions, all the, the unconscious decisions we make from we wake up in the morning until we go to bed, in the evening there are hundreds of them. If we just make them somewhat more conscious and informed, it will make a difference for the climate. And the perfect place to get to get that kind of guidance, to be reminded is, is the bank platform, the bank app, because we're in the bank app, uh, regularly, a, a few times a week. Normally, if you're a digital bank customer, which more people are these days. And that is also where we have the data to, to be able to translate your spendings, your consumption onto impact. And that is also where we can incentivize change. Um, and that is where, I'm, and this is important, and you were onto that early on, actually. The, it is about providing incentives and having people realize that it's much easier than we than we think to, to change. So um, sourcing data uh, from, from transaction, digital receipts, uh, market data, etc., to provide a, a relevant and high-resolution picture of your of the impact of your spendings. And as we have a lot of data about spendings from from, from private customers, we can also be very if you're like, hyper-personalized when it comes to providing guidance of what you can do. You can do, present hundreds and hundreds of, of, of actions or habits or, or decisions you can make as a consumer to move towards um, less, less impact. And for the bank, that's a terrific opportunity to introduce uh, green financial products, green financing, green mortgages, etc. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so that is what we're trying to help uh, the banks. We we have a platform, and and uh, uh, the banks subscribe to to, to to tools and data from a platform and publish and expose that to their to their customers.
0: I guess I'm I'm keen to understand. I mean, obviously, there's huge amounts of potential there. I can see. I'm keen to understand you know, in the time that you've been operating you know, like what have been some of the key Design challenges that you've had to overcome both in terms of I suppose you're offering direct to consumers, but also I suppose that, that interface back into the banks and the organizations that you're working
1: directly with. So as far as design, when we, we started to look at, that, at this uh, from, from the very beginning and to, to source proper data and to make the most of that data uh, has been, I mean at, at the beginning we didn't think we did we could produce actually a relevant footprint that would make any sense for, uh, for a consumer. You will need to to work with to take a multi-layered approach to to calculations you will need to to foster and, and train algorithms to to sort out what you're actually buying as a consumer so whether I mean whereas that there are there are straightforward um, approaches to to mapping simple data simple let's say call that global averages uh, towards uh, towards um, more high-level transaction categorizations then you arrive at numbers, but but numbers, that those numbers doesn't really add up when it comes to how do I change behavior? They don't respond to, to changes in behavior. So that's the first, the first challenge to overcome, and we we're working a lot with that. Then to only present numbers, num- numbers per transaction doesn't you know, doesn't really help. It doesn't help to to only produce percent of the, the problem. You are you are. Your, your consumption is you know, causing damage. That, that's not the message here. The message is there's a lot of things you can do. There, there's an upside for you as an individual. There's an upside for you as an organization if you start working with this. So to outline the upsides, the positive aspects of start looking into this. Uh, and there are many. There are many on sort of, sort of from a from a mental psychological perspective, and there are actually upsides also from an economical financial perspective, particularly if you look at organizations and businesses, but also for individuals. So getting the right data and be relevant and engaging come with a with a service that makes sense that that is of a use for a, for a customer. That is what we need to do and we're constantly, Improving that together with our with our customer.
0: Actually, I mean, I'm keen to get your take. Like the the challenges that Nicholas has outlined, do they sound similar to what you're hearing, you're seeing from companies that are trying to innovate in this space? Do you see other challenges?
2: Well, if we go beyond the retailer consumer point, one thing that I think all of us as people who have a bank card should recognize is that the way banking works is the money that you have put in a bank is being put to use by the bank in some form, they're making a return on it. And that's why you get this service almost always for free. What they're investing in is a choice you can force the bank to make. So most of the time, they're investing in all sorts of things in the world. But a good chunk of it currently goes to funding fossil fuels. So you can go to your bank and ask whether they're investing in the right places. And when you do, they will provide you with options if they are a bank that cares about coming up with a solution. The other thing that is interesting is there's a lot of uh, talk about net zero and carbon neutrality, these claims that banks make around either we are going to give you a, a card that's going to be carbon neutral in all the transactions because we're going to power the transactions with renewables, or they're going to say, well, we have a plan to get to net zero by 2050, even though we will fly our executives in business class uh, where they will burn fossil fuels. So they're is a lot of greenwashy claims that many financial institutions make. And it is upon us as journalists to try and inform people that these are happening. But I think increasingly, as Nicholas said, when consumers are making decisions about the choices they must make, that they consume less, that they consume the right things, they should also then turn around and think about the companies they're funding through their consumption. The financial industry they are relying on for their consumption and whether the claims they are making are really valid or not.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm pretty embarrassed to admit it now. But before I started to work at 11FS, in all honesty, like, did I have really any understanding at all of what my money set in my bank account was doing? Probably not. And I think it is very easy to slip into the when you work day in, day out in, in financial services, it becomes very easy to assume that the understanding of the system that, that we have is is universally held. And I always try to remind myself of, of how untrue that is and, and how for the vast majority of people it is just a, the money goes in, the money comes out and what happens behind the scenes is, isn't is really something that you, you trouble yourself to think about when there's so many other things going on in your your personal life, and your professional life that you're just trying to juggle. So no, I think that's it's, it's very true. Nicholas, how do, you, how do you kind of take someone on that journey without it becoming overwhelming? Um, how do you kind of broaden that understanding without it drowning a customer?
1: Uh, that's a good question. So, so, well, only introducing the fact, um, and, and, and this is, I mean, this could work already with, with numbers per transaction. You, you put a number on transaction and you start, well, what is that? Well, that's that's the impact of this transaction. So, so the awareness that the, the decision I make as a consumer, they result in in some sort of emission. So, so th- that that's a starting point. Now, that 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 can be um, for some people even provoking for, for reasons. But but so to immediately start pointing at solutions. So so what what here's something you can do. It's actually a good idea, etc. So immediately work with incentives and. And upsides for for individuals. For for many people to 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 be aware, to be in the know, and and here's where content comes into play. Where you, you when presenting data, you also need to present content. So put put the numbers into context, uh, where you understand what it is um, to to relate them to where you are as a person in your life, a family, car, house, uh, apartment. Uh, this is a suburb or, or what have you, that's that's important because then you feel at home and you start learning. So learning and curiosity is a very strong driver for for a lot of people. So addressing that, it's a, that's a very good start.
2: And it's also one place where we all now read about climate impact in the news. It may not happen in our backyard, often it does these days, but when it's horrible flooding in Pakistan or drought in the Horn of Africa, we as a news consumer are growing our empathy of the world. But it is a passive consumption of that information. In a way, what Nicholas is saying is that when you turn around and look at your own consumption, you have agency to do something about it. And it helps you not feel helpless trying to tackle, which is a big global problem, you'd get your place in the fight and everybody has a place
0: yeah i suppose the the challenge i i sometimes have in my head is like we have a lot of coverage of climate change you know i've just started watching the new david attenborough documentary in the uk anyone who's outside the uk you know obviously a, a big sort of nature documentary series obviously that's very focused on the impact of climate change does does some of that create too much pressure on individuals? Do, do individuals almost take too much on themselves when actually, you know, the if you're being skeptical, maybe the real impact has to come from governments, has to come from companies, Actually,
2: Yes. So this is a question that I get asked often, which is, what can I do about it? And there are two things. One is you can influence lots and lots of things, and then you can actually do something that will reduce emissions. And really, the influence part should be, first so in the priority order i would say talk about it because not a lot of people talk about it yes it's now showing up on front pages but you kind of get to a party you're having a dinner bringing up climate change is sort of a downer you you know you don't want to spend too much time on it very rarely does that come up as it so first talk about it second vote for the right people third find out what your money is doing Is it going to fund fossil fuels? These are all things you can have influence over. You may not have agency, you can't tell your bank, take my money and put it here, but you can have influence over making it happen. And then, yes, you must consider flying less, eating less meat, and those are not sacrifices. You can find ways in which you can find pleasure in doing those things, doing it as a community, doing it in places you may not consider traveling to. Uh, There there are pleasurable ways to consume less, Um, and you know, All things we will have to do if we're going to tackle this problem.
0: I do, you know, I I did fly over the weekend, which I I do feel slightly guilty about, but I do kind of feel that there should be some sort of interaction immediately after you've got off a flight, because quite often the experience of being on a plane is probably the thing that makes you never actually want to fly again. So I feel like if there was a way to, you know, using the the behavioral design—if you could kind of capture that intention and lock it in at the moment of getting off a sweaty, smelly plane—it um, would probably drive drive the whole world drive the whole world forward. How
2: horrible was your experience? Nine and ten? Yeah. How about not <laughs> flying next time?
0: <laughs> um, I thought you know we yeah you know, actually I was saying at the start of the show, Nicholas, you know that this is a constantly shifting space. That, you know every year the the context is different, the environment is different. I suppose if we're putting our our mystic meg hats on and thinking about the future kind of what what are the opportunities do you see in this space that that haven't been tapped into yet like where are the growth opportunities for fintech
1: such as yourselves well they're a huge they're a huge opportunity and i, I we've only seen the start of this i mean that the there is still such a complexity around what you were talking about actually and um so investments and and to really find out and and find proper data around where our investments are going, how do we rate that, how do we, how do we make that um, you know, comprehensible, so, so how, how, how do we understand the impact of our, of our savings and, and the dynamics of that. There's a need for, for massive data sources and, and open data to, to, to come up with, uh, to, to provide the calculations to, 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 to get the transparency we need. Transparency on investments, but also on on products and consumption. So there is so much work to do, and so much opportunity out there in in sourcing data, providing data, will open data sources, create standards, and 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 try to, to get get away from the complexities or make the complex more easy to to act on as as decision makers. We're decision makers as consumers, but obviously for 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 companies and corporates. So massive opportunity in this field.
2: One thing I would say is that there are almost always co-benefits that come along with trying to act on climate change. So a really good example is that 29th of October, uh, which recently passed, is known as the National Pension Tracing Day in the UK because 2.8 million unclaimed pension pots sit in the UK right now. Their average about £9,500. So billions of pounds of money that people have hard-earned put to work is unclaimed. There is a level of financial literacy that needs to come through in society. And that financial literacy can come through the work that Teachster is doing or companies like that are doing, which are informing you about how you think about your transactions, how you think about your finance, what are you doing with the money that you have, Um, And are you saving and actually making benefits from those savings happen? So there are co-benefits for really being conscious with the hundreds of decisions you make, finance being one of them on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one of the areas that I'm trying to learn more about myself is around financial crime. Like we actually, we hosted a really interesting episode um, kind of earlier on this year where we spoke to some experts in financial crime and they were explaining how actually, you know, if you can reduce financial crime, that's one of the biggest levers you can pull to positively impact climate change because actually so much of the money that is laundered or is is kind of, you know, going through the, financial, the criminal financial system is being used to... You do things that have a negative impact on the environment. So you know, that's a space where, you know, at the moment it feels like it's kind of quite disconnected from some of these these climate change orientated propositions and, and it feels like there's there's a real space for financial crime to become a bit sexier if it can if it can really speak to that more and, and help people to understand how reducing financial crime can also help save the world.
2: And there, there is financial crimes of millions and billions of pounds, but there's also a small financial crime that happens with people uh, calling you and asking you for your bank details. And if you're not financially literate, you know, so many people lose thousands and tens of thousands of pounds because of those spam calls and spam text messages even. So yeah, there's so much um, to do on financial literacy that will also help the environment.
0: Awesome. Well, I mean, I could definitely talk about this for the whole rest of our days, but sadly, I don't have permission to do so. I suppose if we were going to round out uh, this show with, with one one last point, I'd love to get both of your perspectives on, you know, we have a lot of people who listen to this show from across the financial services spectrum, from fintechs all the way through to kind of big traditional banks. If you are sat in an organization that doesn't care about this or isn't prioritizing this, like what would you, what would you say to them? Nicholas, I'll let you start off.
1: Yeah, well, if you still want to stay around, then, then, then start the conversation. Uh, start the conversation with your peers, um, with your team. Uh, start talking about climate, what it means. And take, take a look at the upsides, the, the, the positive things of, 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 of acting and getting into the know. And start from there. And then see if there is any reaction, if there is any change. If there is no change you might consider. They're, they're great companies to work for that are, are front runners in, in net zero transformation, so and and uh, they will get all the talent. So, jump ship if, <laughs> if you don't get in response.
0: I like it. Akshat, what would your advice be?
2: My answer is very simple. You should just go and read my book. <laughs> it's called Climate Capitalism. And I say that not as a funny plug, but really, uh, there is just so... M- much that we don't know about how to tackle climate change. And I try and do that in the form of stories of people actually doing it at scale in not just the UK, but in Denmark and in India and in China. And there is just a huge amount of work that is being done to deploy climate solutions. And there are winners and losers coming our way. Climate change is here. It is going to, regardless of whether you want to participate or not, going to create winners and losers. And so if you as a company, as a business, want to stay ahead, want to be winning, you have to understand the space and you have to look at what is working and maybe find things that are not working and make them work.
0: For sure. And I suppose, you know, just to end with a, a plug for for Deedster as well, Nicholas, I thought you guys sum up really well on on your website that you have the phrase, you know, like lead the change or change will lead you. And I thought that was a, a really nice way of, a way of summing it up. Well, unfortunately, that kind of brings us to the end of, of today's conversation. Um, thank you so much to both of you for, for joining us. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing, Nicholas?
1: Um, well, on our website, obviously, distro.com. Uh, welcome to join. Reach out. We can help you.
0: Fantastic. Akshat,
2: what about you? Uh, you can go to my website. It's akshatrati.com. And there are all sorts of links to work I do for Bloomberg Green, the podcast I host with Bloomberg Green called Zero, links to buy my book everything in one place
0: everything you need awesome and you can find me on linkedin kate Meadie, or you can drop me an email kate thank you for listening if you like what you've heard follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review it helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show as always if you want to join the conversation find us on social media just search for 11fs or fintech insider or email podcasts at 11 thanks very much goodbye